Father. Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to open your word. We pray that you would speak to us very clearly through it. Lord, a Christmas story is very familiar. We know all about it, even if we've not been in church. And so, Lord, we ask this morning, not for something new in the story, but, Lord, something new in our hearts. So show us and help us to see it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So at this point, two weeks out from Christmas, I assume that you've made your list. You've checked it twice or three times or whatever. You've, you've sent that Amazon wish list to everybody that you know. And uh, you've made sure that they know you've not been naughty this year, but you've been nice. And so you, you deserve everything that's on that list. And, and then the, the great gift exchange will come. Some of you will start that the week before Christmas. Maybe you'll be traveling. Some of you Christmas Eve, some Christmas morning, some Christmas afternoon, maybe the evening, whatever. And you'll begin to open all those gifts. It's always funny when we start opening gifts, isn't it? Because you get something from somebody and you're like, what on earth is this? What? what? And you kind of play along. Oh, this is what I've always wanted. This is so wonderful. Thank you so much. You know, another pair of socks. It's awesome. And thank you. And, uh, you know, the tie that you'll never wear and all that kind of stuff. And and then and then you open certain gifts and, and you, you think, boy, this is this is it. This big, beautiful package. And if you you know, remember when you were a kid and, the, and it was the big package that you wanted and you go to your parents or grandparents, you know, living room and there's the Christmas tree and and it's big. Here it is right here. This big, huge package. And it's got your name on it. And boy, you're so excited. It's wrapped so pretty and it's got so much in it, you know, and and you and you think that's the one that you want. And then there's another little package that's sort of out of the way a little bit and it's kind of wrapped up not so great and maybe it's a little bit plain. And then you open that one and for whatever reason, it's exactly what you needed. My, my grandmother's great about stuff like that. So is my sister. They're a lot alike. They give gifts to where inside the package is lots and lots of stuff. And you open one, which contains something else to open, and on and on and on it goes. And so they've got this thing wrapped up, and over and over you just open something new. And it's one thing after another that you didn't even know that you needed. And that's the way that the best Christmas gifts are. And I, when I think about the Christmas story... When I think about the manger scene, the nativity, when I think about Jesus being born and placed there in that manger, in that stable, that's what I think of. It's not the gift that's so huge and so wrapped up, so pretty that we think, oh, that's the one that I want. It's the one that we open and realize I didn't even know that I needed it. And that, to me, is the Christmas story. It comes in very plain packaging. The baby... In a manger, in a feeding trough, as it's rendered in the version we'll see this morning. But it's the gift that just keeps giving and giving and giving and giving. We're in a series called What Christmas is All About. Linus to Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And he goes on to quote from the King James A monumental feat for any young person, by the way. The King James Version, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. I think he went through verse 14, but still, a monumental thing for a young person. He quotes to Charlie Brown, I'll tell you what Christmas is all about. And he goes on to tell him about the shepherds. And how they were out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And they were sore afraid, he says. 
But the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It says that the shepherds ran off and they found the baby and Mary and Joseph. Just as the angel had told them, the baby lying in the manger. I want to look at that this morning. The baby in the manger. Jesus, like I said, he comes wrapped in a pretty plain package. I mean, this is God himself leaving heaven to come to earth. And you would think that not only would there be angelic announcements, but there would be parades and there would be a big celebration. And everybody would want that gift that's wrapped up so pretty. But there he is. A baby in a manger in a stable because the Bible says there was no room for them anywhere else. But I really believe that that little baby... As we see him grow, as we see him come into the fullness of who he is, as we see him revealed in scripture, as we see over and over who he was and what he did, he is the gift that is inexhaustible. That over and over you just keep opening that package and there's more to it every time you get to something else. And so I want to go back to what the Old Testament said he would be. And look at all that is there with this little baby and then make one point and then we'll get out of here. But hang in there, because I want you to get the point today. We're going to springboard from Luke chapter 2, in the baby lying in a manger, to Isaiah chapter 9. I want you to turn with me. It's over in the Old Testament. <clears throat> it's probably about two-thirds of the way through. You go two-thirds of the way through the Old Testament, you'll find the book of Isaiah. If you need to, please go to the table of contents in your Bible. Look it up. The book of Isaiah. Isaiah was one of the prophets, one of God's spokespeople who came to the nation of Israel and said, here's what God has to say. This is what's going on. Here's what God says about it. Here's what God is going to do about it. And so we're going to look at a prophecy this morning that if you've ever heard any kind of Christmas preaching at all, you might have heard some reference to this in Isaiah chapter 9. It's an Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah that was to come. And so there, there will be this sign unto you, the shepherds say, the baby in a manger. And it's Isaiah chapter 9 that gives us who he was going to be. Now, in these days when Isaiah is writing this, there was some tough times for the nation of Judah back then. Uh, the Assyrian nation was gaining some strength and they were threatening and it was a, a difficult time. It looked as if everything was going to fall apart and things weren't going to go so well for the people of God. And so Isaiah is given a word to them. And this is a word of encouragement, a word of hope. And he's given them uh, some kind of hope that one day God is going to change everything. So look with me in Isaiah chapter 9, look at verse 1. Nevertheless, so he's saying in, in spite of all this stuff that's going on, in spite of all the threat to the nation, in spite of everything that looks like it's going to collapse on you, nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he, that's God, humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea so that the land or to the land east of the Jordan and to the Galilee of the nations. What he's saying is one day things are going to change. Now imagine getting this word when it's the worst possible time. 
everything's going wrong in their lives and in their nation. It looks as if all the promises of God are going to go by the wayside. And Isaiah shows up and says, hold on, got a new word for you. Got a word of hope. The gloom of the distressed land, it's going to go away. One of these days, things will be different. And then verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. Now, I referenced this a couple weeks ago. This is the idea that one day, in the middle of the darkness, God is going to do something from the outside to break in and bring light. Now, as much as the people of God wanted to think they were smart enough and strong enough to make something happen on their own, they recognized and they knew that it was going to take God doing something on their behalf. And so Isaiah says, one of these days, there's going to be a light that comes into the world. God is going to do something about the darkness that has fallen on them. Verse 3. You, talking about God, have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time. And as they rejoice when dividing spoils, God is going to enlarge the nation. He's going to rescue them. Their boundaries will be increased and joy will come to the people. In verse 4, for you have shattered their burdensome yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian. For the trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. One day all the wars will cease, he says. There'll be no need for the garments and the boots and the things of war. Just burn them. It's all useless now because God has brought victory. The slavery you've experienced, the tough times, the burdensome yoke that you've carried around, the heavy things on you, Isaiah says, one day it's all going to be over. And then he says, verse 6, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us. Does that sound familiar? For unto you is born this day, A savior, a child. One day, he says, there will be a rescuer. One day, there will be a Messiah who has been born. Now, in his time, there had been a sign that this was going to happen. And he was talking both about then and then the future. One day, there will be this deliverer that comes. And this is where we kind of see the parallels here more with Jesus. And he talks about this child. And the government will be on his shoulders. The people in Isaiah's time, they were terrible Governors, they were awful. They, they they didn't either didn't know what they were doing, or they were just in it for themselves. And, and they were incompetent. And the leaders in governing the people were not doing the people right. And he says, but one day this child, this Messiah, he will govern, and he'll do it the right way. He'll do it to protect his people, to provide for his people. He'll give the people the right kind of law, showing them how to live. And he'll do it because he loves them. The government, the order of the people, providing, protecting for the people, it will rest on his shoulders and he will be good. Then he goes on to talk about the names that are given to this one. And you'll see there on the outline in your bulletin, I'm going to actually reverse it a little bit this morning. We'll get to who he is and then we'll talk about the main truth this morning. But I want you to see here in that little manger what we have. The package that just keeps opening and opening and opening. Isaiah says a few things about him. He will be named Wonderful Counselor. The Messiah that was to come would be wonderful in his nature. Everything about him would be great. And he would be the Wonderful Counselor. He would have great wisdom. And he would be able to guide the people and give them understanding and incredible knowledge that they didn't have before. In fact, he'll be somebody that they want to listen to. You're probably around some folks every once in a while that you sort of have to listen to. 
Maybe that's your boss. And you have to listen to what they have to say, but you don't want to hear it at all. It's the same stuff over and over and over. Young people, you have to listen to your parents, don't you? Now, just kind of stay, don't nod too much here, okay? Because you're going to get in trouble later on. You have to listen to them. Now, this is the part really not to nod. But sometimes you don't want to hear what they have to say. That true? Don't nod. Don't nod. We just kind of we'll look at each other with knowing glances. And my own son's nodding. Yeah. That won't cost you, pal. It wasn't part of the script, man. It's all good. Where was I? There's some people that you don't want to listen to. And the truth is that a lot of times we don't want to listen to somebody because they don't know what they're talking about. Listen, you who are doing your job today, who knows more about it than you? Nobody. And yet somebody comes and tries to tell you what to do, right? They don't know what they're talking about. Are you kidding me? Okay. And then you you let them walk off and then you go back to doing what you were doing. Why? Because they're dumb. They don't know what they're talking about. This Messiah would be the wonderful counselor who would understand everything about life and who we are and where we are and what we need to do. And not only that, but he would be able to communicate it. We'd want to listen to him. You ever had a counselor like that? You ever had somebody who understood you and got you and you said, oh my goodness, finally somebody understands me. Listen, if you go through life and nobody ever understands you, might not be everybody else's problem. Just a side note, okay? <clears throat> but but you find that person and they finally, you, they understand you and they can speak into your life things that you never had spoken to you before. And they understand it and they get it. And man, you want to listen to what they have to say. They're interested in you. They, they have your best interest at heart. And they, they put themselves in your shoes and they become a wonderful counselor. Isaiah says that's the Messiah. And when you look at Jesus... You look at someone who puts himself in our shoes. Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus, he gave up his heavenly rights and he came to earth and he took on the likeness of a human, it says, and he humbled himself and he became one of us. There's a reason that Jesus can be our wonderful counselor because he became one of us. He didn't just stay in heaven apart from us, not understanding, not together with us, but he became what? Emmanuel, God with us. This Messiah, Isaiah says, would be the wonderful counselor, the one who can help guide us, shape our plans, steer us away from trouble, govern our decision-making, all in his role as the wonderful counselor. He goes on to call him the mighty God. So this Messiah has as much strength as he has wisdom. Now Isaiah doesn't mean to simply call him a, a godlike figure. Don't miss this. He means to use the terminology that equates the Messiah with God. When Jesus came to earth, I talked about this a little bit last week. He didn't come to show people just a better way to live or give them some good advice and a little pick me up and a self-help talk. He came as God. If you do not believe that Jesus is God, then you do not believe in Jesus. It's very simple. Jesus is God in human flesh. He is the mighty God. Isaiah prophesies and says this Messiah will be the mighty God. Now there have been some important people used by God before. 
And there are some important people still used by God today, but there has only been one person who was God, and that is Jesus Christ, and He alone. And Jesus talked about that. In fact, He claimed that He could forgive sin. Do you know what they accused Him of? Blasphemy. Do you know why? Because what? Only God can forgive sin. That's the problem the Pharisees had with him. Who are you to say that this man's sin is forgiven? And Jesus, by implication, tells him, well, you figure it out. Put two and two together, pal. Guess who I am? He is the mighty God. Over and over, Jesus talked about it. And he showed that because he is God, he had power over nature as he calms the storm, the winds and the waves obey him. He had power over the spirit world. As he forgives sin and casts out demons. And Isaiah could have stopped there, but he goes on. He calls him the everlasting or the eternal father. He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting father. Every other ruler on earth has a temporary reign. Every one of them. For some of you, you're excited for the next four years in the White House. For some of you, you're devastated about the next four years in the White House. But what if it's eight? Some of you will be doubly excited. Some of you will be doubly terrified. I don't know. But it has a limit. Even kings and queens die. Presidents serve out their terms and they move back to civilian life. Every ruler on earth has a limit. Except one. The Messiah's rule would have no end. He would be the everlasting father. The one who would be the father forever. His reign, his heavenly fatherly reign would have no beginning and no end. He's the one because he's the father who can take care of his children. And he does it with infinite wisdom, with infinite power, and with an everlasting nature. Jesus told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Here I am. And Jesus, he never failed. He loved them, the Bible says, until the very end. He gave mercy instead of punishment, and he took justice upon himself, just like a great father would do. And his rule and his reign has no end. And one last thing, in verse 6. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and he's also the prince of peace. Peace for the Israelites meant rest from their enemies. Peace from being attacked all the time. You read the Old Testament. I mean, it's constant battle, constant war against the people of God. And protection against those people that that wanted them dead and gone. A, A prince of peace had been foreshadowed in the Old Testament for many years. And Isaiah recounts it. Jesus, when he shows up on the scene, he tells his disciples... My peace I give to you. He tells us in Matthew chapter 11 that that if you are weary and you're heavy laden, you're, you're worn out by the world, come to me, he says, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. And ultimately, by his death on the cross, it's Jesus who gives us peace with God, reconciliation between God and us. That's the kind of peace that he came to accomplish. So all of that, that's who we know Jesus to be. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. In hindsight, that's who we see Jesus is. With the full revelation of scripture, all 66 books, not just those in the Old Testament, we see Jesus here in the 21st century as believers in him. We see him as the fulfillment of the Messiah prophecies. 
That's who we know Jesus to be. But when he first showed up, he came in such plain packaging, such different packaging from what was expected, that the people weren't sure if he was the Messiah that they really wanted. The Jews wanted a Messiah for sure. Many of them were expecting around the time of Jesus that it might be the time that the Messiah would show up. But, I was reading this week, there's a New Testament scholar, his name is N.T. Wright, and he summed up the Messianic expectations. Listen, listen to this, he's done some research on it, and here's what he says that the Israelites were expecting in their Messiah. A few things. The Messiah would fight the battle against Israel's enemies, specifically the Romans. This would be a military leader. The Messiah would rebuild or at least cleanse and restore the temple that had been so decimated and desecrated over the, over the years. He, he would be the one that would restore it. He'd build it back up so that worship could continue the way it had always been in the time of Moses. The Messiah would bring Israel's long history to its climax. They were leading towards something, and eventually they would get there, and this Messiah would be the one who would reestablish the monarchy just like it was in the days of David and Solomon. This great nation would be established. Dr. Wright went on and he said the Messiah would be God's representative to Israel, and Israel's representative to God. They would have someone as their high priest to go through. And he talks about the prophecies in Isaiah that that point toward this idea of a suffering servant. If you've read a little bit later in Isaiah, around the 50s or so in Isaiah, you'll see that there's, there's allusion to and prophecy about this person who would come and suffer, this servant. And here's what Dr. Wright has to say. Some saw the servant as a Messiah, all right, but the suffering of which Isaiah spoke would be the suffering that he would inflict on Israel's enemies. Others saw the servant as one who would suffer, but this meant that inevitably in their eyes that that person could not be the Messiah. Do you see that what they thought they were going to get, what they thought they wanted, wasn't who Jesus was when he showed up? And that's why most Jews rejected him. He wasn't the Savior they thought they wanted. They wanted a man to rise to political and military power, to set them in charge of the political and military landscape of the day, and to overcome all their enemies. They wanted the government to rest on his shoulders as he ruled from some great palace after he built a great temple. They wanted a wonderful counselor who would answer all their questions. They wanted someone on behalf of the mighty God who would crush all their enemies. They wanted an everlasting father whose rule on this earth would never end. They wanted a prince of peace who would make everything new. And what they got was a baby in a manger. Think about it. It's absurd. I mean, in logical terms, it's absurd. God comes to earth and he's a baby in a manger. But if we're honest, we're probably a lot like those Jews that rejected Jesus. Because if we're honest, Jesus isn't always the Savior that we think we want. Even as people who claim faith in Him. I mean, what is it that you really want from Jesus? I mean, let's be honest with yourself and with God this morning. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. We won't go row by row here and say, this is what I really want from Jesus, if I'm honest. But what if we did? 
What, what if you go back to this passage in Isaiah and you just walk down the line here and you say the government will rest on his shoulders. What do you really want from Jesus? The truth is most of us just want our particular political party to be in power, don't we? we? We just want the rules and the laws of the land to be exactly the way we want them to be. We want a wonderful counselor, all right. Somebody who just answers our, all of our questions, basically tells us what we want to hear, don't we? I know you're human, I'm human, maybe I'm just preaching to myself this morning. These are the things I struggle with. When I look at Jesus and I say the government will rest on his shoulders, you know what I want? I want the government to do what I want it to do. I want Jesus to be in charge so that everything will be fine for me from that particular perspective. I want a wonderful counselor who tells me what I want to hear. I want a mighty God. You know why? So I can have some power. So I can be elevated above where I am right now in my life. I want an everlasting father so that I can feel comfortable knowing that my daddy is taking care of me. And everything's going to be just fine. And I'm so comfortable in this world. I want a prince of peace. You know why? Because I want everything to go my way. Maybe you are a little more spiritual than I am, but this is what I struggle with when I work through this passage of Scripture. Who do I want Jesus to be? Somebody who puts the government the way I want it to be. Somebody who tells me what I want to hear. Somebody who elevates me to a different position. Somebody who just makes life comfortable for me. And somebody who makes sure that everything goes my way. That's the Savior I want. And instead, I got a baby in a manger. Instead, I got a man hung on a cross. Instead, I got Jesus. Jesus isn't always the Savior that we think we want. Because He's the Savior of the manger and the cross. Those are the symbols of who He is. He's the Savior of the poor and the lowly and those who will humble themselves. Not the ones who want to elevate themselves. He's the Savior of the world but not in the way that we expect or want Him to do it. He's not always the Savior that we think we want, but He's always the Savior that God knows we need. Because if you're honest this morning with yourself and with God, you know that it's your soul that first needs to be made new. We need to be recreated We don't need first for our political party to be in power. We don't need first to have all the answers or somebody tell us what we want to hear. We don't need first to feel powerful and elevated to a different social status. We don't first need to be made comfortable and we don't first need everything to go our way. First, we need to be saved from our sins and forgiven. First, we need to be made into new creations. First, we need to be reconciled with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then we can appreciate the plain packaging that he came in. The plain packaging of the manger and the cross. Then everything else takes on meaning. Then we see the world in a different way. Then we see what we need to hear in a different way. Then we see our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace, rightfully. Then we see that the government truly does rest on his shoulders, that he's in charge no matter who's in power. Then we can pursue Jesus as all those things. The one in charge of the world despite what we can see. The one who truly does have all the answers even when they contradict us. 
in our reasoning, the one who truly elevates us, not necessarily in our social economic status, but from where we were as enemies of God to sons and daughters of God. The one whose power is everlasting, the one whose peace passes all understanding. And so, the challenge, and in fact the roadblock for many people is, will we receive Jesus not for who we think we want Him to be, but for who God knows we need Him to be. Receiving Jesus means going the way that He came to us, and that is humbly. Those two symbols of Jesus, the manger and the cross, both symbols of humility, and in fact humiliation and sacrifice of leaving heaven to give up all of his heavenly rights, to come to earth, to be born to poor parents, teenage parents who at the time might not have even been married, who were facing ridicule on their own, to be chased around for two years, to grow up and to have confusion surround him over who he is, and eventually for all of his friends to leave him and for the nation of Israel to crucify him. And he did it all. Paul tells us, humbling himself to obedience. Obedience even to death on a cross. Receiving Jesus means going to him the way that he came to us, humbly. It's only those who humble themselves. Only those who humble themselves in repentance and faith. Only those can receive the Savior that God knows that you and I need. Jesus, I've found will not be molded to shape my life. And Lord knows I've tried. You ever tried that? Lord, I tell you what, it would sure be nice if you would... Boy, I tell you what, God, it'd be nice if you would do this or that. You ever tried to mold God into your image? You ever tried to tell Jesus, Lord, I tell you what, you know, I'll be good so long as you do this, this, and this. Make that deal. Is that cool? You ever bargain with God that way? I've found in my life that I can do that over and over and over, and all I get is a sore head from banging it against the wall. It's all I get. Because Jesus will not be molded to shape my life. I must be molded to shape His. And when He shows up in the form of a baby in a manger, do you see the message? He's saying, I'm not going to conform to what you think you want me to be. I'm coming to be what God knows you need. And will you receive him as that? And folks, this morning, I'm not just talking about the person here who might need to know Jesus for the very first time. And if you're that person and you've come to hear the good news of Jesus, let me tell you that no matter where you are, who you are, what you've done, what you haven't done, that Jesus loves you just the way you are. And he went to the cross for people just like you so that you could be forgiven of your sins and made new to have eternal life both now and forever. And it requires faith in him. He says, come to me believing, repent and believe, and you will be saved. I'm not only talking to those folks, but I'm talking to who I probably feel is the majority of us here this morning. Folks who have already made that decision. And yet folks like all of us who live here in this country have so Americanized our Christian faith that now we want Jesus to give it to us our way. And maybe, just maybe, this Christmas, you'd say, all right, Lord, (laughs) 
You be who I need, not who I think I want. And I don't know what God's going to do in your life, but I know that once the disciples got to that point, they set the world on fire. I know that once people get to that point, their hearts are changed forever and they cannot be the same. And God begins to do things in their life that they never even knew that they needed. It's just like that package on Christmas morning. His offer stands today. The kingdom of God can be, can be, can reside inside of you. You can be forgiven of all your sin. You can be, be, be made new and put right with God. You can have God do things in you that you never even knew you needed, but you've got to receive Jesus the way he is. The way that God knows we need him to be rather than who we want him to be. And you know what's interesting in the process? The more that we simply receive Jesus the way God knows we need him to be, the more he becomes what we want. That's what I found. So Lord Jesus, be who I need, not who I think I want. Would you make that your prayer this morning? Let's pray together. I pray you'll receive that baby in the manger, that Savior on the cross, for who God knows that you and I so desperately need him to be. The Bible tells us, Jesus said, don't worry about all these other things, but seek first his kingdom and everything else will be taken care of. Would you make it your prayer? Lord Jesus, be who you know that I need rather than who I think I want you to be. Let him change your heart, change your life. And then from there, let him live out his kingdom in your life each day. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for your word, for the challenge it is to my soul and my spirit and my life. God, I, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be the Savior that you know I need rather than the one I think I want, whatever that may mean. Make it so, Lord, in my life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand as we close with this song.